beginning a brand new series that's been entitled The Kingdom. This morning specifically, I'm going to be sharing on Yours is the Kingdom. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is looking at life through a larger lens to see the bigger picture of our life now and of our life in eternity with God. Because the kingdom is both now and in the future. So John the Baptist was the first to use the phrase the kingdom of God. And all of scripture had not been used until the time that John uttered the words the kingdom of God. And as also people have asked, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, are they one and the same? And the answer to that is yes, they're synonymous. They're, they're not different. There's no, no reason to try to make something so complicated that's not complicated. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are one in the same. I will let you know that Matthew, in his writing, over 30 times used the phrase kingdom of heaven. But, you know, when you look into the other Gospels, you look into Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel, primarily they use the phrase kingdom of God. And many theologians and biblical scholars believe that Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven because he was writing specifically to a Jewish audience. And that was more palatable for them to receive. And and God is always trying to get us to receive from him. And so... You know, the words that he uses, the phrases, the terminology is so that we would welcome his instruction into our heart and it would transform us. So when John the Baptist first came on the scene, we we get a picture of it in Matthew's gospel, chapter three. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight and so upon uh, John proclaiming the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand the audience probably scratched their head didn't really comprehend or understand what he was alluding to what was he referring to when he said the kingdom of heaven And then he went on and he, you know, described that he was a forerunner or one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, we we see some instruction here that we'll follow up on a little bit more uh, thoroughly here in a moment in the message. But uh, just to sort of prepare you for that is the message of repentance was was a message of good news. It, It wasn't God pointing a finger at us and condemning us. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So, so many times when uh, the word repentance uh, hits our ear in the Western world, we almost recoil because we think it's a type of judgment. And it's not. It's a type of mercy that God would give us space and time to turn around, to change our mind and to take a different path means that God has been patient with us. God has been long suffering. God has been good. God has been merciful. Now, I I know uh, some people's experience when they hear the word repentance is is maybe one where they heard a harsh message, uh, one with the undertones that they were dirty, rotten uh, scoundrels. And and no one needs to tell me that I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. My own heart tells me that. Apart from God, I am a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and so are you. Amen? And and, and that's something that that Jesus didn't... uh, spend a lot of time as far as addressing. 
He was trying to get people to hear the message of the kingdom, trying to get them to welcome the message of the kingdom and and to really understand the heart of God was calling his people back into fellowship. That's what repentance was all about. It was gathering, not scatter, scattering. It, it was it was come unto me, not go away from me. And and so I if you can if maybe if you had that experience where repentance was was more, uh, you know, of a whipping post, maybe, you know, felt like it was a rod against your back. I, I want to remind you that it's a message of mercy, a message of God's patience, of his goodness. And scripture even says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And when we understand how good God is in light of how what dirty, rotten scoundrels we were, then it changes our mind. And, and that's where repentance begins is in the mind of those that are running from God. They quit running from and start running to the Lord. Amen. Now, uh, fast forward a few years. Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, ministry is now on the scene. John the Baptist has been uh, arrested and he's been put in jail. And the first message that Jesus heralds in Mark's gospel, chapter one and verse 15, after John's imprison- imprisonment is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. First time the word gospel has been used in all of scripture. Repent and believe in the gospel. And they didn't know what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, nor the gospel was. So it's like a cow at a new gate. It's like a dog at a new pan. They they are perplexed and they're somewhat bewildered at these phrases, at the terminology that's being used. And 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 so it it uh, it sort of it appeals to their inquisitive nature. They continue to gather to show up where Jesus is teaching. Uh, to hear more about the gospel, to experience more of what he has to say about the kingdom. And so Jesus, throughout the gospels, taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's mentioned over 80 times in the gospel writings. And uh, it, it was the message of the kingdom that was the biggest threat to those that were in spiritual authority. And uh, it was the message ultimately about the kingdom that led to Jesus being arrested, tried, and crucified. Uh, I, uh, it, it, if someone was to just go out and uh, take a, a random poll in various churches across the United States, and, and they were to ask this question, what is the what is the primary and most important message that Jesus taught? Uh, the response is love. Jesus taught us to love one another. Jesus' message was love. It, it was about forgiveness. It, it was about prayer. It was about faith. And I, I I wouldn't disagree with any of those responses or those answers to that question. But that wasn't the primary uh, message that Jesus came heralding and proclaiming and teaching and preaching. The primary message was the kingdom of God. Because until someone encounters the kingdom of God, until someone really understands what the kingdom of God is, it's impossible for them within their own nature, within their own ability to forgive, to walk in love, to have faith. Someone has to encounter the kingdom of God 
in order for them to be able to live out their faith. They have to, they have to encounter the kingdom. And the kingdom is the big picture. The kingdom is why Jesus came to establish not his kingdom, but his father's kingdom, not to do his will, but the will of his father. And, and when Jesus was proclaiming and teaching about the kingdom, the audience was in awe of the authority and the power and the confidence in which he communicated. And we're going to see that here in a moment in, in Matthew's gospel chapter five. So as we take a look in, into Matthew's gospel chapter five, uh, our, our heart this morning, uh, uh, hopefully is open to understand more about this important matter and uh, why it matters for us now and why it will matter for us throughout all eternity. So before I, I read out of Matthew's gospel, chapter five, the number one question asked about God's kingdom is what is it? You know, what is God's kingdom? And I want to give you a threefold answer to what God's kingdom is. It, the first, I want to give you the broader, the big picture of what God's kingdom is. It is the rule of our eternal sovereign God over all creation. That he is the creator and there's none likened unto him. That he is the creator of heaven and earth and he sovereignly rules and reigns over all of creation. But specifically and individually, there's also application for this phrase, the kingdom of God. It is God ruling and reigning in the hearts, minds and bodies of those that have submitted their will to God's authority. So there is this broad and big picture that God rules and reigns over all of creation. And then there's this specific or individual experience with the kingdom of God when someone encounters the rule or the reign of God in their life and they bow their knee and submit to him, then he begins to rule and reign in their heart. So it is a work that is done by the spirit in the heart of each and every one of those who submit to his authority. And then there is the third application of it in scripture, and that is the future and eternal reign of God upon the earth forever and ever, as it is the world without end. And of this kingdom, there is no end. There is a day coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and our God will rule and reign Forever and ever and ever. And in Jesus' time, when the audience consistently was hearing the message about the kingdom, they were thinking here and now and not so much future tense. Their mindset was Jesus was going to come, overthrow the Roman government, and set up his rule and reign in their generation. And Jesus instructed them repeatedly that the kingdom of God is not coming with observation. It's not with something that you can identify with your senses, but it's something that God is going to do first and foremost in the hearts of those that would submit to his rule and reign in their life. There's a lot of parables where Jesus taught about the kingdom. We're going to be getting into those in future messages, but I want you to Stay with me over the next few minutes as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, the, the most beloved portions of Scripture, the longest message recorded of Jesus' ministry, and how he was preparing people for what he had pre prepared for them. He was, in, he was challenging the status quo. He was introducing 
countercultural ways of living that would require faith in God and not in, in obedience to the law. And let's begin now in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 1. And it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He opens up this, this message with a foundational truth that those that recognize their brokenness, those that are bankrupt spiritually, those that whose eyes have been enlightened to how far they have fallen before God, he said they are going to be happy, fortunate, they're going to be well thought of because they are going to experience the kingdom of heaven. They're going to experience God's rule and reign in their life. Until you and I understand how far we have fallen, we usually don't reach up and ask for help. We don't, we don't seek for help when we don't know that we're not lost. When we know we're lost, we begin to seek to, to find help and find direction. So when he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, he is he's saying that for every individual, everyone who understands how how much sin has impacted their life, how far it has separated them from God, all the damage that it has done to their soul. When they come to that point, they are at the precipice. They are at the door of entering into and experiencing and encountering the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our Lord and our Savior. He goes further down in this teaching as he continues to instruct those that are gathered there in verse 17, he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. Now, if someone says, don't think that I came to destroy, it means that they were thinking that he came to get rid of the old and establish the new. He didn't come to get rid of it. He came to do what? Fulfill it. There's a big difference between getting rid of something. You get rid of something because it's no good. It has no value. It has no worth. The law has worth in that this is the value of the law. It shows us that we are lawbreakers. Without the law, we think we're righteous. But our righteousness is self-righteousness, and it's filthy before God. It's dirty. It's defiled. Because we're justifying ourselves, usually by comparing ourselves with others. Others, I'm not as bad as that one. I'm not as bad. I don't do as many bad things as that individual. And so when Jesus is, is addressing this audience, he's saying, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You think that, that I'm going to come. I, I am going to overthrow those that are in authority, and I'm going to establish my kingdom right here, right now. He said, don't think that I have come to get rid of the law and the prophets. Don't think that I have, that what Moses said, what Abraham said, what the law said, what Elijah said, what Malachi said, hi Malachi, what anyone had to say is, is of, of, it has no value, has tremendous value. Because it's a standard that we could not attain to without Jesus. It is a life that we could not live apart from Jesus coming and ruling and reigning in our heart. It's an impossibility for us to save ourselves. We are not saved through our good works. We are saved by the grace of God. And that's a gift. And the gift of faith that comes into our heart when we hear the word allows us to access this grace whereby we are saved. 
Everything that we have from God, we have received. We are the benefactors of faith, of grace, and of salvation. So Jesus is, you know, sort of setting the record straight. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the law of the prophets. Uh, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill for truly or assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all has been fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the scribes and Pharisees were highly esteemed and respected among the Jewish culture. And when Jesus said that your righteousness must exceed theirs, they knew it wasn't, you know, because they were so noble of character. They knew that righteousness was going to have to be a gift that was given unto them. And he goes on and he continues to to expound some more about the kingdom of, of heaven. But before he does that, he begins to rearrange the order of and begins to give us insight into where sin uh, originates and where certain acts of sin come from and defile us. And, and he deals with, with subject matter such as, as murder. And he's saying that the root of murder is anger in adultery. The root of adultery is a wandering eye and not an established heart. And, uh, he was, he was talking about the cause and, the big reasons for divorce is a hardness of heart. He, he goes in and he says the reason that people can't keep their word is because they're conflicted and they're torn between the pull of the world and pleasing God and, and just pleasing their own sensual pleasures. And he says, therefore, their yes is not always a yes and their no isn't always a no. We have a, we're, we're, you know, whatever audience we're in, we sort of are, you know, cater to their, to their appeal. And he, he goes into, you know, this, this great discourse about just how impossible it is for man to change. And, and yet in the midst of all of this, he's giving us hope. He's saying, you know what the law and you know what the prophet said. And, but I say to you, and you know what the law and you know what the prophet said, but I say to you, you know what is written, but I say to you. Now, what, what he's doing is saying, I'm going to take care of that which you could not fulfill. And then I'm going to come and abide in you so that you can live out the new commandments. You don't have the power. You don't have the strength. You don't have the faith. You don't have the ability to fulfill the law, but I'll fulfill it for you. Then I'll suffer for your sins. I'll rise for your justification. And when you ask me to be the Lord of your life and submit to my rule and reign, I'll come in and by my spirit, I'll empower you to be strong, to be courageous, to be full of faith, to walk in love, and to be able to be someone that's trustworthy, someone who can be a covenant keeper. See, the the transition from the law and the prophets to grace and truth, which is, you know, transition from Old Testament to New Testament, could only be done by a mediator, and that mediator is Christ Jesus. He represented represented sinful man upon the cross and he he represent a glorious and a righteous resurrected savior to broken and and humanity and he is the mediator between god and man 
He is the man Christ Jesus. Uh, let's continue to read. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we're going to go to chapter 6 now. And this is a, a prayer that the disciples, uh, you know, uh, upon asking Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? These are the principles of prayer that he taught. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So we're in chapter 6 and verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Th- this is... This is where we yield to someone who's greater, who has more authority, more power than ourselves. This is where this is uh, something that we need to realize is that this is present tense. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right. And, and it's on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we know it's present tense. That there is the rule and reign of God in our in our life. And it's what we would call a little bit of heaven while we're here on the earth, that when someone submits to Jesus and yields to his lordship, they encounter the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign. And God's rule and reign in our life is, is not, he's not putting a brick in our back. He's, he's not making our task more, more challenging or more difficult. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. See, the law causes us to be guilty. And Jesus came and said, there's no condemnation to those that are in in Christ Jesus, zero. So he removes the shame of sin, the weight of sin, the condemnation, the guilt that comes with sin. And he imparts unto us the gift of righteousness. That the way that we're made right with God is through Jesus Christ and through our faith in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus is saying to the disciples and saying to us, the principles of prayer begin with, if you're going to experience intimacy with God, if you're going to have fellowship, communion, if you're going to converse with God, then it can't be your kingdom. It has to be his kingdom, your kingdom come. And this is the struggle. The audience in which Jesus was talking to had an established way of worship. They had traditions in which they adhered to. They, they had a place of worship. They had a, uh, a type of worship, but it, it, was, it was not producing results. Yeah. Their, their prayers weren't, weren't really uh, what we would call heartfelt or, or from the heart. They were more done out of rote or repetition. Things had become more religious, and righteousness was something that, that uh, they, they did you know, as far as self-righteousness. So this this principle of the kingdom, kingdom first, yours is the kingdom, is first introduced in prayer. And then as we get to the latter part of, of Jesus instructing, in verse uh, 13, he says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the future reign. Of God, And this is the reign and rule of God over all creation, over a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever and ever. Amen. And and his is still the kingdom. So when uh, an individual, you or I submit to the lordship of Jesus, then at that moment, when we profess Jesus Christ is Lord and we bow our knee uh, unto his lordship. 
and we announce him as the king of our heart, his kingdom begins to rule and reign in us. His way of living, his way of conducting ourselves. And, and, and it takes away all the, all the difficulty and harshness. And now it's a relational, redemptive covenant uh, partnership that we have with God. Continue on in uh, chapter 6 and we'll begin reading it again in the 31st verse. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, here's the instruction, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, it's one thing for someone to tell me not to worry. It's another thing to tell me why I don't need to worry. You know, if someone just says, well, just quit your fussing, just quit your worrying, just quit being so anxious, and they don't give me a cause or a reason to understand why I shouldn't worry, then it becomes very challenging not to worry. As a matter of fact, I would say it's nearly impossible. But when we understand that Jesus not only instructs us, hey, don't be concerned, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be fretful about the temporal things of life. God knows that you need them. God is aware of all of the needs that you have. And because of that, I want to reorder your life to his rule and reign. And I want you to to prioritize God in your life. I want you to quit seeking all the natural things. And I want you to start seeking his kingdom, his way of of being and living. I, I want you to to not pursue the things that are temporal. I want you with your heart and soul and mind and strength to begin to pursue the things that are eternal. And temporal things will take care of themselves. Na- the natural things of life will will take care of themselves. That doesn't mean we leave our jobs and become irresponsible. Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches God blesses what we put our hand to, but it matters how we put our hand to something. Whether we're doing it as unto ourselves, for our own kingdom, for our own glory, for our own wealth, for our own namesake, or we're doing it for the glory and the kingdom of God. And Scripture wholeheartedly says, whatever you do in word and deed, do all to the glory of God. And when we work, we should work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. So some people have misunderstood that, you know, they'll, you know, I don't need to work. God will just take care of me. And I'm like, if you don't work, Scripture says you don't eat. So work is honorable. I want to get this point across because I have known a lot of kookamatics. I have, and they've just thrown out portions of Scripture. They don't balance the Scripture with what other portions of of Scripture have to say, and almost as if God blesses irresponsibility, as if that's some great, uh, uh, you know, uh, like great step of faith. You know, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to let God supply. Well, we reap what we sow. If you don't do nothing, you don't get nothing. It's the reason why we do what we do that matters. It's the heart in which we do it. It's for the one in which we do it that matters. And that's why when we do what we do is unto him, it helps us to do what we do because not every day is an easy day at work. 
You know, God has placed you strategically probably within the framework of your company or the organization that you work so that you can be light in darkness, so you can be salt in an environment that needs some flavoring. And and so many of us at times just think that God has come to make our life more comfortable and more convenient, but God has put us right in the middle of a war zone, and he said, I want you to show people what it means when someone rules and reigns in in their life besides them, because everyone struggles with letting go and trusting God without exception. The audience that Jesus was talking to when he says there's a new way of living, it's going to be the way of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is going to come unto you. What they heard is what we hear when we hear something new, and this is the one word that we all recoil at, change. And that's the word repent. Repent, turn around, and don't think that your way is the right way. Examine and see if your way is the right way before God. So, but seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And therefore, because of this, no need to worry about tomorrow. You know, live one day at a time, one step at a time, one decision at a time. And in time, you'll discover that God has been there and been true and been good through every season and every situation. Can I get a hearty amen? I want to finish... uh, in the math, in Matthew's gospel by reading the latter portion or the conclusion of Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, verse 24 of chapter 7. You may have to turn the page in your Bible. It says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The word therefore as a reminder, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to see why it's therefore. And what he is doing is summarizing everything that he just said. So in order to understand this, therefore, you have to understand that he is saying everything I've said up until this moment, everything from the Beatitudes to the to the transition of me fulfilling the law and the prophets. And now this is the way that I want you to live. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to conduct yourself is all based upon this conclusion. This is what makes it all happen. This is what makes it a reality. Are you guys ready? Whoever hears these sayings of mine, all the things that he just said, and does them, just doesn't know them, implements them, ponders them well enough that they begin to submit to his rule and reign, to his way of living and being and doing. He said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to compare him or liken him to a wise man. So he's going to use an analogy here. We like analogies. I'm going to liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock, founded on the kingdom, founded on the kingdom of heaven. It was built correctly. It was built on a sure foundation. And inevitably in life, there's going to be situations that arise, storms or circumstances or seasons that were were not on your radar, but nonetheless showed up anyway. But if your house is built and you're established in living and seeking out and desiring his will and not your will and his ways and not your ways and putting 
his plans and purposes into your life, then you're going to weather the storm. You're going to make it through this season. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. It didn't say they didn't know them. But let's really get this point established. There's a lot of people that can quote scripture that know scripture, but it's not those that know it, it's those that do it. It's the doers that are blessed. It's the doers that experience the kingdom of heaven. It's the doers that seek first the kingdom of God that experience him adding all things unto them. Uh, A quick caveat here before I finish. Are you guys still with me? Little story. Uh, Thursday, uh, a a week ago last Thursday, uh, Joe Cunningham and myself and and Jay Smith and, and Ryan Roberts got together to play a round of goof. And that'd be golf. So we got together to play a round of golf. Uh, Joe Cunningham has a tradition. He, you know, being a financial advisor, he tries to get some financing, uh, some finances into his pocket when we play. So it's a, it's a very, it's a, it, it's a, he's a good businessman. And so here's, here's one of the, the rules when we play is that the first birdie, the first birdie is a dollar birdie. So everybody pays the guy who got a, a, a birdie a dollar. And there's rules to how you have to get a birdie, and and you just have to be there to enjoy the comedy of the moment. But it's it's uh, and and so I, I I show up at the golf course and I check my billfold and and I didn't have a dollar. I check my golf bag, I don't have a dollar. Uh, you don't have a dollar on me. Now I have a dollar to my name, but it's just not on me. So we get to the first tee box, and uh, on the back side of the tee box, guess what's sitting there? A dollar bill. So I, I reach over and I pick the dollar bill up and I asked Joe. I said, Joe, is, is this your dollar? And he said, no. I asked Jay, no. I asked, I asked Ryan, no. Because, you know, at the first tee, people are putting tees in their pockets and ball markers and ball repair, you know, uh, in case we hit the green, we want to repair it and all of those things. And so if you have money in your pocket, it could fall out. We're just putting something in. You could take it out and, and there goes that dollar. So none of say none of them. So, I, of course, I didn't have a dollar. I needed a dollar, which is a precursor that I didn't get a birdie. Are you guys with me? God was providing ahead of time for me, knowing I was playing with better golfers and I wasn't going to get the birdie. Now, if there was no dollar there, that could have been an indicator that I was going to get $3, but that's not the way it happened. So the dollar was there. We get to uh, like the, the, the fourth hole, fifth hole, we get to the third hole on the second round. We were really playing stellar golf. So we're on our 12th hole, and Joe gets a birdie. And uh, I had already eaten my, uh, uh, my protein uh, bar that Charlene packed for me. And so guess where I put the wrapper after I ate my protein bar? In my pocket. And what else is in my pocket? The dollar bill that I found on the on the first tee. And and I don't have a care in the world. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not disturbed. I'm not anxious. And uh, so uh, we get by a trash can on the tee box on number, on number four, and I pull out what's in my pocket, and I put it in the trash can. And because I'm just keeping my own score, I was unaware because I was it was like the family circus on that hole for me to get to the green. I, I was over in fairway one and over in four and then up in three. And I had no idea that Joe got a birdie. So we get to the fourth tee 
And Joe goes, oh, by the way, because he's a financial advisor, I got a birdie on that hole. And so Jay, Jay pulls out his money, and uh, Jay's usually got a, a, like a wad of like thousands of ones. He's just peeling them off, right? He gives, he gives, and, and um, Ryan just showed up, and we said it doesn't matter. You just showed up on the birdie hole, so you got to pay, you got to pay Joe. And then I'm thinking to myself, oh, let me get my dollar out. And I pulled, and lo and behold, there it wasn't. So where is it? It's in the trash can. So I go over, and I'm digging in the trash can, and Joe Cunningham looks at me. And he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm getting your dollar. He said, out of the trash can. I said, yeah, it's just right in here. God supplied. <laughs> True story, isn't it, Joe? Yeah. I, I, we, we get ourselves sometimes just all worked up. And what is worry at to us? One person likened it to sitting in a rocking chair. A lot of motion, you're not going anywhere. And, and I, I would say there's a lot of truth to that. But this is something that matters to Jesus. Do you know that your emotional health matters to Jesus in a nation that's very concerned about emotional and mental health? Don't you know that this is a remedy? What's the remedy? Them encountering Jesus' rule and reign. Big picture. Our God supplies all of our needs, not some all of our needs. Who rules and reigns over creation? Who created all things? And to whom all things do everyone answer to? And who one day will sit upon the throne and for thousands and thousands of years, world without end, will rule and reign in righteousness. And all he asks us to do is when we bow our knee to him and say, Jesus, you have rule and reign in my life. You have rightful place in my life. And we begin to walk that out and we begin to experience his faithfulness. Then we see his provision. Day in and day out, promotions come, opportunities come, blessings come. And also, you know what else comes with all of that? Responsibility. A responsibility that we have to share with others the reason that our life is in order and that we have peace and that we have a sense of acceptance and belonging is because we submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We submitted to Jesus, and He helps us live this life out. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641 828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.